Welcome to Adult Papers, the podcast for grown-ups. I'm your host, Violet Augustine. I'm going to share sometimes magical, sometimes terrifying, often strange, occasionally funny, and somewhere uncomfortably between hyper-real and surreal stories with you. Welcome back to my show. I am in your ears today to talk about how Jane Eyre, the title character from the book by Charlotte Bronte, in my opinion, falls for a dude with narcissistic personality disorder. I call it MPD throughout this episode. I decided to talk about it originally because it was just bothering me. But after I wrote the first draft, I realized, dude, I escaped a relationship with a narcissist. And it was no small task, believe. So I decided to talk about how Edward Fairfax Rochester is, IMO, a narcissist. How I was able to recognize that I too was in a relationship with one. And how I got myself out of it. Though disentangled or extricated are much better verbs for what it felt like. And a little more revealing of how time and labor intensive it was. So I first listened to Jane Eyre on Audible about 11 years ago. By the way, when is it not going to feel weird to say I heard a book? I would have been about 24. At that time, I perceived the story as romantic. But this time around, with 11 more years of experience, including two marriages, two divorces, and a kid that I'm raising with the help of my mom, I see it very differently. Let me start by saying I love Jane Eyre's character, and I relate to her a lot. That's why I loved the book in the first place. I was 24, and it was my first year teaching. Hello, governess. And if I were a pale, tiny English woman, we'd have been twins. I felt like my childhood, similar to hers, was also pretty unfortunate and slathered with characters who acted as if it was their actual job to remind me I was too sensitive, too weird, too fat in my case, and just unlovable. I excelled in grade school, sought to escape the realities of my life in the act of learning, and also, upon reaching 18, sought out whatever adventures could be had. Her story felt very parallel to mine, especially at that time. What remained to be seen was just how parallel it would end up being. Seeing that she falls for an older, seemingly charming and worldly dude. A person, in hindsight, it would appear to have a narcissistic personality disorder. I wish I'd heeded the book as a warning and a roadmap of what not to do. But no such luck. As a naive young thing myself, I thought, what a shame she won't just reject convention. How awful that he'd end up in such a position by no fault of his own. I thought, thank God they found their way back to each other in the end. I think maybe if the book had a more realistic ending, I might have heeded it as a warning. Though, TBH, probably not. But I'm assuming Bronte didn't want to write a tragedy, or she knew it wouldn't sell as well, so she gave the book a rosy ending, which led my naive 24-year-old ass to also ignore convention, and advice, and warnings, and jump into a relationship with a person with MPD, and let's just say, my story is not a romance. Let's talk about the book for a minute. So, this is a long-ass book, if you've ever read or listened to it. And I've been listening to it for weeks. It got to the point where descriptions of Rochester made my fucking stomach turn. I watched the Jane Eyre BBC television series, and that show really portrays Rochester as the narcissist I believe him to be, which only added fuel to my ire. To my fire? Both. When I was 24, 
either because of my misguided and utterly confused romantic ideals or unhealed daddy issues, whichever you want to call it, I didn't perceive their age difference. She was like, what, 18, 19? And he was at least 38? That's a gap of 20 years. That's like four lifetimes for some people during that period. So why is she so exponentially more fucking mature than him? I'm looking at this dude's behavior and I'm like, what a sad, angry, self-pitying little twat. All this wealth and influence and entitlement and privilege, and yet he hates his life? Come on. So this spoiled, selfish, feeling sorry for himself ass motherfucker just drinks and whines about how fate has fucked him and he's just been looking for that one woman to come and save him from himself. It just makes me sick. And so here comes this naive, innocent, smart young woman who, because she still has faith in life and in her future, he attaches to her like a parasite. It disgusts me now on so many levels. One, because I lived it, more on that in a bit, but also instead of seeing the air quote love for what it is, The idea that it is romantic or true love is part of the bullshit that is ingrained into our popular culture. Dude has a fucking personality disorder and he wants to own a woman that is young enough to be his daughter. And not only that, he acts as if she were not a young woman at all, but a fucking Duracell battery. I'd really like to know Who the fuck decided that codependent relationships with narcissists were romantic? If you know the answer to that, please send me a message. You can find my contact info on adultpapers.com. Why we are conditioned when we meet a broken, self-pitying, narcissistic hedonist who looks at us with eyes like a lost dog, that that is romantic, that that is what love is, that is not love. That is self-interest, self-preservation, manipulation, to name just a few of the things that it is. Rochester says over and over in the book that he saw Jane as a savior, and he decided he must have her, must own her, imprison her. His words, dude, If you're dealing with that kind of narcissist, just fucking run. Run the other way like yesterday. As soon as you hear them say those words because in all likelihood they fucking mean it. And if they can say shit like that in the beginning, all casual, believe that it will get much worse. But for purposes of this episode, I'm not talking about that kind of narcissist. The kind with like toxic masculinity who will just come out and say it. The kind of narcissist I'm used to is the wolf in sheep's clothing kind of covert narcissist. Like the white racists in the Midwest when I used to live there. The ones who don't believe that they're racist and just the backward whites in the South are racist. The kind of covert narcissist that relishes in appearing to be a person with actual values. A good liberal and a real feminist. Their narcissism, like the white racists in the Midwest, is so buried and hidden that, in my opinion, it's the most disruptive, potentially volatile, and unpredictable. So if you think you might be in a relationship with a person with MPD, pay attention to their actions. Their words will not say as much, and they will likely be the complete opposite of the truth. But their actions over time will snitch them out. And I'll get back to that in a minute. First tangent, which really isn't a tangent, but an aside. My kid asked me the other day, mommy, what is in love? And I said, when you're in love with someone, you want to take care of them. 
So if you're the kind of person who wants to take care of the person you love, just be sure you find someone who wants to take care of you back. Because in my opinion, quote, in love is a two-way street kind of a thing. But people with MPD tend to find empathetic people that are good at taking care of others and attaching to them, kind of like chiggers. Have you ever had chiggers? They're these tiny little bugs that live in tall grasses, especially where there are cattle. And when they're babies, they're like microscopic and they feed on, you guessed it, human flesh. So when you get chiggers, you won't be able to see them and you won't even know they've latched on to you until you start to get these incredibly itchy, hive-like red bumps anywhere your skin was exposed. So like around your ankles, neckline, waistline for like days. That's the scary part. The bumps just keep appearing. You'll just keep getting eaten alive by this invisible parasite on your body until they get big enough that they just don't need you anymore. And then they jump off and start eating dirt. Yeah, that's a real thing. A creature that goes from flesh eating to dirt eating. I don't know. That sounds like a weird design, but I'm sure they serve some worldly purpose. I've had chiggers and I've had narcissists too. So kind of like the chiggers, you won't realize that the quote love from this narcissist isn't reciprocated until they've already attached themselves to you and started feeding. In this story, Rochester needs Jane because he's a fucking mess. Jane wants to take care of Rochester and she's capable of it. But Rochester doesn't even consider if he wants to take care of Jane. He doesn't have to because he's rich. His money will take care of her. He does, though, express quite a lot. He wants Jane to take care of him, to be his companion, to be his, 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 his. I'm repeating myself now, but this is not love. This is ownership and possession and selfishness. How many times does she profess that she'd do anything for him, to be with him, to stay by his side, to take care of him, to defend him, to bring him back to health, etc. And he agrees, addressing her like she's a fucking walking prescription bottle. His little plan to marry her in secret and then run away before he gets caught. I mean, what other fucking clue is there that he doesn't actually give two shits about her? As 20 years her senior and given life expectancy at that time, he's going to die in like, what, 10 years? 20 if he's lucky? Even with a life expectancy of 57, she's still only going to be middle-aged when he dies and she realizes, holy fuck, he left me nothing. No money, no security, no home because I was never his legal fucking wife. Likely in the time they lived in his whitewashed villa on the shores of France, she wouldn't work because they'd live off his wealth. And then he'd just die and leave her destitute. After one or two decades of not working, she'd have trashed her career as a governess and her dream of wanting to start her own school. He would have effectively ruined her fucking life by lying to her and marrying her in secret. Because why? Because he wanted her to be his? Because he ruined his own life by making bad decisions with the rare and elite privileges he'd enjoyed as a rich white dude? I mean, and my 24-year-old ass didn't pick up any of this at the time. Like, not even a fucking whiff of it. If you're getting your master's or PhD right now and you're a Bronte person and you need a thesis, here you go. I haven't vetted it. I don't know if it's already been written. Probably at this point, it's really hard to find a thesis that hasn't been. But if not, take it, go for it, and then email me so I can read it, please. So in the BBC TV show, the dude is clearly manipulative from the very beginning. 
in the way he talks to her near the fire, the way he manipulates her emotions for his own amusement. And then given that she's smart and sharp and astute, he quote, falls in love with her. What he falls into is wanting her for himself because he realizes that she has value. The value that he should be able to perceive as autonomous. Nope. He perceives it as holy shit. Here's a gold nugget I can take for myself and spend and spend and spend until it's, well, spent. Her astuteness combined with her naivety and her blind faith in the future has value for his withered up and poisoned view of life. It has nothing to do with love. So then he realizes this value and starts desiring it. She saves his life and he admits as much. But not after a little more manipulation, just for good measure. Go back to your room. She gets up to leave and then he asks her, you leaving without saying goodbye? After he just fucking told her to leave. Then he takes her hand and says, I knew you'd do me good. I knew you'd do me good the first time I met you. I don't know what that accent was, but how the fuck is that romantic? I knew you'd bring me an advantage. After squandering a fucking lifetime of advantages, I can see fresh advantages in you that I am going to do my damnedest to harvest. To suck right out of you. He's a fucking vampire. And I can see this so clearly now because I've been with my share of vampires in the 11 years since I first heard this book. So then, as if that's not enough, after he gets all cozy with her, holding her hand, pulling her close in the middle of the night... This young, virginal girl who's probably never even been kissed, and this hand-holding is the highlight of her hitherto 18 years. In the morning, he leaves for two weeks to go flirt with another woman he's considering marrying. Manipulation with a capital M. And on top of that, he fucking brings this other bitch back to flirt with her in front of Jane. And later admits to doing that on purpose to make her jealous. Let it be acknowledged that he was also manipulating Blanche because he's already fucking married. But at least Blanche is already a quote lady of standing or some shit. So when he dies in a decade, she may not be as stuck out as Jane would be. Yet he claims to love Jane and not Blanche. I call bullshit. Big old BS on that one. Anyway... He forces Jane to sit in the drawing room and watch him flirt with this bitch. And then every moment he manages to break away from the group, in private, he continues manipulating her, trying to draw out her feelings for him. It's like, you were practically just making out with Blanche a second ago and now you want to follow me out into the hall and torture me by dangling the possibility of love in front of me When we both know that given our social rank and my considerable poverty isn't possible and you want me to come out and profess some shit to you, you, with all the goddamn money, power, and advantage. If anyone's life stands to be upended at this point, it's Jane's and he just doesn't give a fuck at all. And then, and then, dude, on top of this, this motherfucker dresses up as a fortune teller, like pretends to be a traveling psychic to manipulate not just Jane, but all of his guests. This dude has zero integrity, y'all. You don't need to dress up like a fortune teller to discern people's true intentions. Not at your age. The fact that this, quote, fortune teller tells each and every guest their own feelings just to see their reaction shows that he already knew what they were. So you completely disregarded the feelings of others to what? Satisfy? Confirm what you already knew? Prevent you from embarrassing yourself? That's some toxic ass self-preservation. I got a little heated there. Was I talking to Rochester or about Rochester? (laughs) That's a huge MPD red flag. Lack of empathy. And my 24-year-old ass listening to this book on the way to work is still not smelling the fucking roses. I don't remember what I was thinking, 
but it might have been somewhere along the lines of, oh, how romantic the links will go to find out how she feels about him. No, bitch. No. Getting manipulated by a man 20 years your senior who has nothing to lose and you everything is not fucking romantic. It is psychopathic. And we've normalized this fucking behavior. It just goes to show how society, who for so long has taken for granted these warped ideas of power based on arbitrary indicators like gender or birth or wealth, which it's worth mentioning that post-gold standard is a grown-up game of pretend with real consequences, can just keep on twisting itself into different wretched positions. And because it's been the norm for so long, we don't see just how twisted it actually is. To cut Rochester some slack, at one point he does admit that he was wrong. After his whole plan has blown up in his face, he admits he fucked up. A person with full-on NPD will never do that. Never admit being wrong and never apologize. As far as my situation... Given my background and my family, I was perfectly primed, even groomed, to end up with a narcissist or two in my life, definitely. Which I think is why I didn't recognize Rochester for what he was when I was 24, and some of the people I ended up in relationships with for what they were. I started to say, looking back, I have no idea how I made it out of such a relationship, but I do know how. And here is the part of the episode where I tell you a little bit about what happened to me so that you might avoid it happening to yourself, or at least use it to help you get out if you're already in the situation. Real quick, rapid research. Let's talk about the signs that someone you may be in a relationship with is a narcissist. One, does your person seem to think that they're the best thing since sliced bread? Like, you can see that they think they're the best looking, the smartest, the funniest, the most decorated person in the room at any given time. While self-assurance and confidence are good qualities, you can have too much of a good thing. A clue that your person might have this overinflated sense of self-importance is that if you look at the actual black and white facts of their life, you can't see where they got such an inflated sense of self. Not to say that human value is extrinsic or based on things like income or education. Absolutely not. But if a person who, let's say, didn't graduate from high school, but they think they're more qualified than pretty much everyone about everything, even experts or scholars of a particular field, and this person just believes that their word is the gold standard of words because they believe their everything is the gold standard of everything. Remember, they're the best looking in the room, the funniest, and definitely the smartest. Although, It is this last quality that is their Achilles heel, and you can use that to your advantage to GTFO. When it comes to this first quality, don't judge the person necessarily by how they treat people in the service industry. I've heard that this is a good metric for character, and sure, if a person treats their waiter like shit, that person is definitely a shit person who you should walk away from. But the covert narcissist is also exceptionally charming. And so they will treat the waiter like their best friend because that person probably actually is their best friend because the relationship is exactly the kind of relationship that the narcissist actually values because this person is there to make their life as convenient as possible. Y'all, narcissists are the reason this fucking pandemic isn't over yet and the next time you drive by a restaurant to see the parking lot full of cars and a valet out front if you look through the windows into the dining area you'll find more than one person with npd okay on to number two i mentioned this one already but it must be said again they lack empathy because they believe they're number one and in their minds Only they actually matter. They only care about what's best for them. And not even what's best, but what's convenient, what's comfortable. 
And if you pay attention over time, you will see their actions prove that if ever there's an instance where they have to be uncomfortable in order to do the right thing, or if putting someone else's needs before theirs puts them in an inconvenient or uncomfortable spot, they definitely won't do it. They're incapable of making themselves uncomfortable, even if it's for the purpose of filling an essential need of someone they quote love, even their children. It's sad, really. I've seen more maturity in my five-year-old. So it does, in this instance, seem to come down to such an absence of maturity in their emotional and mental development that even a five-year-old can show more altruism than them. By the way, movies don't count. So if you see your person get teared up at the latest episode of The Mandalorian, don't be fooled. They can feel empathy for fictional characters, but only because those characters don't have any implications in their real life. It's kind of parallel to how it's not a contradiction for them to be really nice to service workers. A human in a fully dimensional position in their life poses a considerable risk to their perfect satisfaction of convenience, and you will not see them be afforded any empathy if it comes down to a choice between empathy or the comfort of the narcissist. Quality three, entitlement. OMG, the entitlement. This kind of goes with number one, but they believe that they are the gold standard of human beings. So it kind of goes with it that they feel entitled to basically everything. Well, everything that they want, at least. Remind you of anyone, Karen? This person is not doing anything on their own. Why would they when there are droves of naive, empathetic little things they can bewitch and then suck dry? They are not doing self-care on their own, not their hobbies, not even buying their own shit. They're always wrangling someone else's resources, be they physical or emotional, to build their little castle in the sky. This one also connects to the manipulation and their inflated self-importance. This person probably could afford to buy their own house without mooching off of you, but it wouldn't be the one they want in the neighborhood they want. So they will take what they have to take from whoever they have to take it from, however they have to do that, to get the house they want in the neighborhood they want with the technology, conveniences, and services that they want. I know what you're thinking. Nah, my person isn't a thief. No, not if they're the covert type that does this in a slow, methodical, but strategic way that they call by other names, like moving in with you. But next thing you know, their name is on the title of your house. And when you sell it, they're suddenly entitled to half the equity when you're the sucker who shelled out the 20K on the down payment. That's why you have to pay attention to their actions like I said before, this person is not going to admit that they just hustled you out of half of the equity of your house. They're going to say, you left me, you chose this when you leave and keep the profit they did not contribute to and then move on to the next sucker or the next sucky, I should say. And they'll take your money and spend it on a vacation overseas. <laughs> you think I'm fucking joking or making shit up. If you don't leave that bitch now, you will see for yourself. Okay, quality number four, manipulative. This is a big one too, but this can show up in so, so, so many different ways. I could have a whole ass podcast about how narcissists manipulate because they're just so versatile at it. They manipulate for accolades, for praise, for a housewife, for a uterus to incubate their seed, for money, for travel, for comforts like a house or a car. And the list could probably include every single thing on the planet because it just depends on the particular narcissist what they value and what they'll manipulate for. I said it before, but there are at least two basic kinds of manipulative narcissists, although to say that is redundant. The overt 
and the covert. The overt manipulator will be like old boy who just got canceled on TikTok. What's his name? The Australian with the beautiful curly mane. I think he's Australian. Don't quote me. I haven't actually engaged with his content. I didn't want to give him the views just in case. What I did see was some weird sexual stuff he was saying to his kids. Something about women are the ones who get on their knees or some bullshit to like a little ass kid. That's overt toxic masculine manipulation. That's obvious though. A little too obvious, which makes me wonder if he really was just pretending. But the dangerous kind is the covert. Because not only will they convince a lot of people around them that they are the best thing since sliced bread, they'll treat you like you're the best thing since sliced bread. Until you're ensnared to the extent that they don't have to keep up the act anymore. But honestly, that's a good thing because once you start seeing the person for what they really are, you can now start the process of saving yourself a lifetime of being someone's meat battery or tax shelter or meal ticket or actual meal if we're talking about triggers, depending on what value you serve the particular narcissist. Five, technically, this is nestled into the manipulative quality, but it's a big one, and that is gaslighting. What is gaslighting, you say? Yeah, I didn't know what it was either until it happened to me. Gaslighting is the subtle art of making a person feel crazy when they have a concern about an issue that is a real issue, but the person would rather gaslight you than deal with the real issue. One way your person with MPD may gaslight you is with jokes. I say may because this is a particularly advanced form of gaslighting because it is extra subtle and super hard to have a productive discussion about because the obvious reason this person will say something like, geez, dude, I was joking. Lighten up. Huh? Huh? Sound familiar? Anyway, jokes is one way they may gaslight. Projections is another. You can think of it like marketing. When the toilet paper commercial says it won't leave bits of toilet paper on your ass, you know that that brand of toilet paper will definitely leave bits of paper on your ass. Projection is when the narcissist calls you a narcissist. Now, because you're actually not, this strategy will work because... As a non-narcissist, you'll stop. You'll take a pause. You'll think about it. Am I? Could I be? You'll reflect. You'll take some time. You'll watch your own words and behaviors for narcissistic qualities. And if you find them, even anything that smells like them, you'll work on stamping them out. And by the time you realize they faked your ass out again, weeks will likely have already elapsed and more of your vital energy or money or whatever it is that they're steadily draining from you is as yet more diminished. Six, I'm going to add another to the list, but this only applies to the covert narcissist, the dangerous one, IMO. They will not only gaslight and manipulate you, they'll do it with a subtlety that is unmatched. So the next quality I'm listing is subtlety and a skillful execution of the above qualities. This one kind of blurs the lines with pretty much all the other qualities because being extra charming is part of the manipulation and one of the ways the subtlety plays out. The reasons for the subtlety are many, but I'll address the ones I'm experienced with. One reason they are subtle is because they are experienced. They may have been raised by a narcissist and that's how they became one themselves or else they've just had a lifetime of experience. The subtlety is actually a very important quality of the behavior when we're talking about the covert. They use subtlety along with the gaslighting to make it hard for you to put your finger on what the fuck is going on because they're just almost approaching borderline normal behaviors. Remember, they'll call it 
moving in with you. But you have to keep an eye out because at every turn, they'll take and take and take some more. And you really won't be able to say, aha, gotcha, till some time has passed. Even then, don't say gotcha because they'll never admit it. Anyways, this is the other reason their behavior is dangerous. It takes time to decipher the pattern. And often the only way you can even detect them is after enough time has elapsed that the pattern is all of a sudden lit up like a Christmas tree. But the realization, if you're stuck in a relationship with this person, starts out as an inkling or a general feeling that something is off because something is very off, but the only signs of it are very super subtle. Now, don't get confused. They still can have obtuse behaviors too. When you experience those, you'll at first feel incredulous, like you actually are crazy, that the person you're with thinks they can act a certain way and then just go on being with you. But it will likely be a little of both. The subtle feeling that something is off but you can't put your finger on it and the occasional outright behaviors that make you think, what the fuck just happened? The outright behaviors will confuse you because if they do the other thing that a narcissist does, they love bombed you in the beginning, which means they faked your ass out. And when their true behaviors start showing, you'll feel so fucking utterly confused. You'll be standing there rubbing your tired, swollen eyes like the castaways that just conferred the lays to Bugs Bunny's neck and salute and wave your congratulations to just watch him set sail on the one lifeboat you have in this worldly realm. Now, I got jokes, but this situation is serious and can be dangerous, especially if you have children with this person or share property or anything else that you care about that they actually can try to use against you when you leave them because they will use those things. Whatever you care about, prepare for it to be collateral damage. Yeah, this is fucking scary when what I'm calling collateral is a human child. Thank God for child psychologists. Anyway, I'm not an expert on narcissism. I'm just a person who was in a relationship with a toxic narcissist and I figured out how to get myself out of it. That is why I tell this story. So you can see how I recognized that I was in trouble and what I did to get out of trouble and what I continue to do to manage the damage since I have to continue my relationship with this particular narcissist because they are officially a member of my family. So... Last week, I was cleaning out my closets and I came across this list. This list was titled, Things Mr. X Called Me When We Were Married. Let me explain. I'd started to have an inkling that things were not well in Wonderland, but I couldn't put my finger on it. That was because Mr. X, whom it should be noted I have personally diagnosed with MPD, though my therapist concurred the lay diagnosis, was very skilled at subtle emotional manipulations and gaslighting. Very early on in the relationship, I started to feel things were off, but I didn't start to detect something was off until it was a little too late. Just a tiny little too late. Like this person didn't even have the stamina to wait until I was full stuck. They just waited until I was a little stuck. And then they started unzipping their sheep onesie. But I was stuck. By stuck, I mean you may have a house with this person. You may be legally bound to them by marriage. You may be pregnant if you're a person with a uterus. Your loved one's narcissistic traits won't start to show until you are compromised in some way. Whatever circumstances that this person with MPD knows will make it significantly harder for you to leave them is usually when the little realities of their disorder will start to peek through the seams. You'll start to see the teeth of the zipper on the wool they've been draped with, the tags that they made sure to disguise from you in the beginning, the outer facade which attracted you to them, which had you believing they were the person of your dreams or the love of your life. 
you are soon to find out, was just a lamb chop onesie in the men's section at Target. Side note, some practical advice, which is pretty widely accepted, but of which I didn't follow. Take some time to get to know someone before you buy a house with them or legally bind yourself to them or God forbid, get pregnant with them. Common sense, I know, but uh, yeah, my propensities to quote, figure it out for myself or live the experience versus listen to advice is a whole other episode. So this list. I started compiling it after I knew the relationship was over, but they didn't yet. I'm grateful I made the list because it's a record and a reminder that I was not, in fact, crazy for leaving this person, even if it threw my life into a circumstantial tailspin and still occasionally does. It has words on it like liar, cheater, selfish, which if you know me, one, you know I'm fucking incapable of lying. It's like an inside joke. Like poor strangers get mouth diarrhea in the form of way TMI from me more times in a day than I care to count. In my face, it's a fucking billboard. It telegraphs truth across the fucking Metroplex. And for that reason, sometimes it's hard to do the whole Santa thing. But that's another episode. And two, I have never, ever, ever, ever even once cheated on anyone. Like, I don't even know how the fuck to even do it. Like, I bet if I even thought about kissing someone other than my partner, my mouth would dry up and pucker so bad I'd look like the Gina Davis ghost bride in Beetlejuice. And three, selfish? Selfish. I am raising a five-year-old by myself. And before I was doing it by myself alone, I was doing it by myself married. And then I had two children to take care of, and one of them was not a toddler. Selfish. That shit right there, that is gaslighting. Because the list also includes narcissist. So yeah, this narcissist called me a narcissist when I dared tell them that. Even in my 30s and even pregnant, I hadn't yet given up on my life's goals. It says, weak, a coward, a bullshitter delusional that my whole generation sucks. Also notice the whole generation bit. That was one of the subtler ones that began early because in the beginning it was just millennials suck because this millennials are awful because that. So in the beginning it would be like, well, he's not talking about me. Obviously I'm excluded because I'm his wife and he loves me. So he wouldn't talk shit like that about me right in front of me. Wrong. He meant me too, but he said it like that so I couldn't call him to the carpet and hold him accountable for making me feel like shit. His obvious excuse in that instance would be, he wasn't talking about me. Right. All the other millennials, you excluded. But things got worse, obviously. The closer we got to separation, the more he sensed me getting ready to leave. It turned from talking shit about millennials to just talking shit about me, calling me self-centered a sociopath, a psychopath. And this one is funny because the circumstances doesn't care about anyone but their self. But there's a little note next to it that says, Mr. X says this as they leave the room, leaving me to deal with an emergency at 2 a.m. So this person said I didn't care about anyone but myself and then promptly left for me to clean up the emergency, which I won't name because I'm not trying to identify this person. This isn't about that. This is for you, dear friend, who is in a relationship with a person with MPD, and I want to help you to not only realize you can get out, but help you figure out how to get the process started. And to start the process, you have to identify what's happening. Now, like I said, by the time I'm writing this list, these behaviors had become obvious. But imagine this happening for the first time. There's an emergency in the middle of the night that wakes you both up. You're both tired and grumpy and they say, you don't care about anyone but yourself and then leave and you're left alone cleaning up the mess. You might think, well, they were having a bad night. They were understandably grumpy and I'm the more nurturing one anyway, so I'll take care of it and they'll apologize when they calm down. But that's another quality of a narcissist, remember? They will not apologize because they're unable to admit when they're wrong. 
They're unable to even recognize when they're wrong, much less admit to it. That's why keeping records is so important because a moment like that only starts to make sense when it's a piece of a larger puzzle. So this list of things this person called me for a long time, but at first it wasn't in name form. Remember, the subtlety. At first, it was glib, quote, jokes. Again, they came in the form of jokes so that I couldn't hold them accountable. Then the jokes became more like snarky comments that got more biting and specific slowly over time. It was like the small acts. I think I heard a song that said that. It went from stuff like millennials or self-inflated halfwits to other groups I belonged to, like astrologers or delusional imbeciles, or only a clod would be able to entertain anything like faith or theistic beliefs. My attempts at self-care were labeled selfish, self-centered, narcissistic, and when I pointed out that I needed to do certain things for my own mental health, like perhaps eat right, or God forbid, go for a run, which meant I needed some actual solo time, I was then labeled too sensitive and weak. So the subtlety of the gaslighting reverse amplified. Did I say that right? Or did they just amplify? Anyways, the jokes turned into actual criticisms and the generalizations turned specific. There was an eventual point where they just told me I was all those awful things. There was a purpose behind all of the criticism and gaslighting, which is to try to basically break you. Because in order to leave this person, you need self-confidence, self-esteem. You need self-care and the things that make you strong, like faith in something other than the relationship. So their criticisms are not random. Even if this person does not recognize this about themselves, which they probably won't and would deny up and down and in circles, their criticism is targeted to break you down so you don't have the strength to leave them. Because if you do that, if you leave them, it threatens to break the delusional picture they have of their self where they're perfect and without fault and they have a perfect life. Not to mention they're probably sucking resources from you and if you leave them, they won't be able to keep up the quality of life that they've been enjoying. That's probably also why they'll immediately latch on to someone new as soon as they realize you're gone for good. And let's be real, they were probably cheating on you with this person the whole time, and that's why they called you the cheater. But that's not your problem anymore. That's the new person's problem. But the silver lining, and there's lots of silver lining here. I'll do a second part to this episode about the silver lining of getting out of a relationship with a narcissist. The silver lining of these criticisms is that once you start writing them down, keeping record, noticing the pattern, it can help you identify with evidence what this person is, which will help you summon the strength you'll need to uproot your entire life in order to leave them. Because it will be uprooting. If you're with a true covert narcissist, they have already dug their teeth so far into you that to leave them is going to take some major time to heal and leave some major scars. Kind of like the hives I got from those chiggers lasted for fucking months. That was just my body's own immune response to them. I've not said everything about NPD, though I've said quite a bit. If anything that I've said lands for you, I implore you, dear listener, pack your shit now and run as fast as you can. Or if you can't, which you likely can't, because if it's a real MPD you're dealing with, you're pretty stuck. Start making arrangements in secret. Start a savings account for the money you'd need to move if that's what you need to do. Save more than you'd need if, say, you allowed your credit to get ruined at this person's suggestion because... According to them, why would you need a good credit score if you already have them? Get support from whatever family and friends that you can in the case that it's needed so you don't have to be homeless. Talk to an expert who might advise you on specific actions you can take to protect yourself, your finances, your children, and try not to tip this person off just yet. 
because once they realize you're leaving, they'll try to make your life a living hell. And my friends, I'm sorry to say, prepare yourself for a very lonely experience. If you have friends and healthy relationships, they won't understand what the fuck you're going through. They might even look at you like you're the crazy one. Shit. Even if your friends are in unhealthy relationships, they won't want you to leave either because then they'd have to look at their less than ideal situations. Just be ready to find yourself very alone. And if you're truly lucky, you'll have one or two true friends or family who have clear sight and will stand by you while you go through this. We've reached the end now. And here I'm going to give you a little homework. If you suspect you're in a relationship with a person with narcissistic personality disorder, your assignment is to start writing. Write shit down. Write it down. Document it. Keep it somewhere private that can't be destroyed. Keep in mind cloud sharing and things like that so they can't find what you're writing and use it against you, but also be mindful of paper because paper just as easily disappears. Write it down and keep it secret. Keep it safe. And keep adding to it every time you feel something is off or weird or feels Kind of bad, but they said they were just joking, and since they were talking about your old neighborhood, maybe they meant everyone else who used to live there and not you? Write it down. Include dates and times. Because if it smells like shit, it's probably a turd. According to my abuela, a candy-coated turd. And that, my friends, is my official definition of a narcissist. A candy-coated turd. Mm-hmm.